checked out every book that I could on writing, and I began to approach about a half a dozen Christian magazines. And I literally wrote a letter and said, Hi, my name is Margaret Feinberg, and you have never heard of me. But could I write the review in the back of your magazine? Because I knew that if I could win an editor's confidence with that smallest publishable piece, that I could work my way up. And so over the years I did, from reviews to news stories to feature stories to cover stories, and eventually into books. And over the last dozen years or so, I've had the privilege of sharing the story, not only of what God has been doing in my life, but what he's been doing throughout our generation and communities around the world. Well, a number of years ago, I was living in Colorado at the time, and I remember I got a call from my aunt up in Sitka, Alaska, and my uncle had gone out scuba diving, and when he came to the surface, he was dead. And it turned my aunt's world upside down. She desperately needed somebody in the family to give her a hand. And so I, being one of the only people with a flexible schedule, decided to travel up to Alaska. And I was there about six weeks, and I remember one day I was signing books in a little church cafe when this tall, strapping Alaskan by the name of Leif walked in. And he's six foot eight, and he totally noticed me. But to be honest, I didn't really notice him because I'm kind of like Dory from Finding Nemo. Hi! But I eventually caught on to the fact that wherever I went in Sitka, there was Leif. And it might have been a little bit uncomfortable, a little disconcerting, maybe possibly downright creepy, except that in Sitka, Alaska, there's only about a dozen miles of road end to end. And so I started to, to catch on to the fact that wherever I went, there was Leif. And that isn't surprising because in this tiny town, literally you see the same people at the grocery store and the gas station and the post office. I mean, this is a town so small that when people register for their wedding, they register at true value. And so here I am, hanging out with Leif, we're becoming friends. And after only knowing him about four, five, six weeks, it's time for me to pack up and head back to Colorado. But before I do, he sits me down, he looks me in the eye, and he says, Margaret, I would like to ask you to consider moving to Alaska to pursue a relationship to become my wife. Wow. <laughs> way to let it all hang out. <laughs> and then I remember thinking, ooh, I am so not moving to Alaska for a boy. I mean, they make movies out of people who do things like that. <laughs> Starring Sandra Bullock. <laughs> so I pack up, I head back to Colorado, but Leif continues calling and pursuing me. And a couple months later, my cousin was getting married on an island off the coast of Washington. And Leif had come down before the wedding, and my mom had come in for the wedding. And over lunch one day, my mom really got to connect with Leif for the first time. And at the end of that meal, she looked at me and she said, Margaret, this guy is amazing, and you are such a fool if you don't give this relationship a chance. And so I listened to my mom, I packed up, I moved to Alaska, and nine months later, I married my stalker. <laughs> and the tall, six-foot-eight guy who you will see by the book table is the man whom I serve and I love and I adore. 
And today we live in Morrison, Colorado, right outside of Denver. We have a lovely home, an incredible view, some amazing friends, and a very cute puppy named Hershey. And yet, despite all of God's goodness and all of his blessings, there are still nights that I lie in bed awake and I wonder, is this all there is? Now, that's not the kind of question that you want to say out loud to yourself, let alone to someone else. And so I remember taking that question to the one person who I knew it was safe, and that was God. And I began praying and saying, Lord, where does this sense of discontentment come from? I mean, you have given us so much. We live in the United States of abundance, and still I feel it inside. And it's like the Holy Spirit tapped me on the shoulder. And he said, Margaret, that sense of discontentment that you feel, it's actually an answer to your own prayers. And so I went to my prayer journal, which I keep in the back of my Bible, and I looked, and on the column, the second one down, it says hunger. You see, I pray on a regular basis for spiritual hunger. I ask God that my heart would be so captivated for the things of God and His world that I would not be satisfied for the things of this world. And on those nights when I lie in bed awake and I wonder, is this all there is? God is faithfully answering that prayer. Well, a while back, the hunger to know God was just kind of stirring to such an extent that, that I didn't really know what to do with it. And it actually forced me to take a spiritual inventory of my life. And what I realized is that at my core, I am a total Jesus girl. Like when I read the Gospels, my faith comes alive. I love the book of Matthew, how he goes into great depth and detail into all that Jesus did. And then there's Mark, he's more brief and concise. It's like he gets in and he gets out and he lands the plane. And then there's Luke, our doctor. He's the one who adds a scientific and a medical perspective of the stories of Jesus. If you want to learn about giving or how to handle money, you read the Gospel of Luke. But then there's John, my heartthrob. He is the artsy, fartsy one. He is the one who adds color and vibe and hue to the gospel story. And when I read these portraits of Jesus, my faith cannot help but just bubble up inside. And because of the way I was raised, I realized that I had come to know the Holy Spirit pretty early on, both as a source of comfort and a source of conviction that as the paths of life head in different directions, it's the Spirit of God who says, this is the way, walk in it. But as I'm sitting there looking at my own life, I start to realize that when it comes to God, there's a whole lot that I don't know. Yes, I grew up in the church. Yes, I was a religion major. Yes, I've studied the Bible, written the theses. But when it came to knowing and talking about God, it was like I could tell you a lot about Him without really knowing Him. I mean, the picture that I had in my mind's eye is that of this huge, powerful white being like wrapped in a robe of some sort. And yet deep down inside, I wonder, should I run toward him or should I run away? And while I could tell you in my head things and facts about God, I didn't really know him. And so I reached a point when I realized that I just, I really wanted to know God for myself. Not what somebody else said about him, but to know him. I wanted to know God organically. 
Now, that word organic may seem a little bit unusual, but if you look it up in the dictionary, it basically means three things, natural, pure, and essential. And in so many ways, isn't that what we all hunger for in our relationship with God? We hunger for a relationship that's natural. It's not forced or coerced or contrived, but it's just alive and bubbling up inside of us. We long for a relationship that's pure because it's founded on God's word. And we long for a relationship that is essential because ultimately he is our lifeline. And so I thought, God, if I wanna get to know you in this way, I wanna get to know you organically, how do I do that? Well, there wasn't really a Bible study to turn to specifically for that. And so I decided to go to one book, and that was this one. And I began going through the entire New Testament and key books of the Old Testament and writing down in a little handwritten journal every single verse that revealed something about God. Now, there were quite a few. And so I realized pretty early on that I needed to categorize them. And so I began to look for God for his likes and his dislikes, those places in scripture where he's so readily apparent and those others where he seems to be withdrawn. I began to treat that journey of getting to know God almost like that first date or that person who you meet and you think, you are going to be my friend. I'm going to get to know you, I'm going to love you, and you have no choice in the matter because ultimately God is a rewarder of those who seek him. And so in this organic journey to get to know God, I began to see facets of God's character and his attributes that I had never seen before. I began to behold the beauty of God, stand in awe of the mystery of God, swim deeper in the depths of the big-hearted love nature of our God, and experience God in a whole new way. And so this morning, I just wanted to share one of the gems that I discovered in my organic journey to get to know God. And it came rather early because I thought, okay, if I'm going to get to know God, if God is going to be my BFF, my best friend forever, then I need to figure out what God likes and really what he loves. Because that's what BFFs do. That's what best friends do, right? We find out what each other likes, we find out what each other loves, and then we love the same thing. And so I began going through the scripture and looking up every single place where it said what God loves. And what surprised me was not how many things God loves, but in some ways, how few. I mean, we know according to Malachi too that God loves his temple. We know that according to Isaiah that God loves the poor and God loves justice. Most of us are familiar with John 3.16, for God so loved the that he gave his only begotten son. We know God loves his people and God loves Israel. But as I was going through the Bible, I only found one verse in my translation that precisely and concisely said what God loves. And it's found in 1 Corinthians 9, 7. And it simply says, God loves a cheerful giver. And I had read that passage many times before, but never with the same weight, the same depth, the same impact. And I began thinking, well, okay, if God loves cheerful givers, then I want to love cheerful givers. And I don't just want to love cheerful givers, I, I want to be a cheerful giver. But, but then I began to think, well, why does God love cheerful givers so much? 
And I have a hunch that it's because when we give cheerfully, we reflect our outrageously generous God. We reflect a God who gives us more than we can ever ask for or expect. Who when we can't even find the words, the syllables, the nouns, the consonants to offer up in prayer, our God answers with outrageous generosity. I experienced this, fir this firsthand as a kid in my home. When I was kind of a pre-teenager, there weren't really any opportunities to go and get a job outside of the home, and so I was totally dependent on mom and dad for cash, and some of you know what that's like. And when it came to asking for money in my house, that always meant going to dad, because mom had already spent hers. And, and I remember going to my Jewish father and being like, Dad, I, I want to go see a movie with my friends this weekend. Could, could I get some money? You know, there's this activity going on. And no matter what I asked for, he always gave me the same response. He always asked me, how much do you need? And I don't know what it was about my personality, but, but if I wanted to go to like see a movie, I'd be like, Dad, all I need is $7. $7 is all that I need not thinking that I might need a few extra dollars for like snacks when I'm at the movies or to do something with my friends afterward. And if I had a few extra dollars from the weekend before, I'd be like, Dad, $5, $5, it's all I need. And I don't know how much my dad caught onto that, but what I do know is that time and time again as a kid, I would go to my dad and I would ask for $5 and he would hand me a 10. And I would ask for 10 and he would hand me a 20 and I'd ask for 40 or 50 for some weekend event, and he'd hand me 50 or 60, whether he could afford it or not. And in those moments, my earthly father gave me an incredible portrait of our heavenly father, who gives us so much more than we can ever ask for. When we lack the courage, when we lack the ability, when we lack the words to ask, our God answers with outrageous generosity. I think one of the places in Scripture where this is so readily apparent is found in Exodus chapter 16. For any of you who may have brought your Bibles, you're welcome to turn there. For any of you who brought your iPhones or iPads, you can also go there because there is an app for that. And as you're going there, I want to give you a little bit of background to what's going on in this passage. Because the story of Exodus begins by telling us a story of a really wicked guy who was ruling over God's people by the name of Pharaoh. And Pharaoh was the kind of leader who broke every single labor law and then some. And God raised up a guy by the name of Moses and gave him a wingman by the name of Aaron. And through a series of miracles, both in the sky and in the land, Pharaoh's heart finally changed until he said, God's people can go free. And if you read the book of Exodus, what you'll discover is as the people are packing up to leave the land, they're actually having their bags stuffed with the gold of the land. And they head out and they're excited and they're joyful, except that eventually Pharaoh's heart turns back and he says, you know what, God's people, they can't go free. And so he sends his armies after them until the Israelites find themselves pinned up against the Red Sea. And God, in one of his most miraculous displays, reaches down, parts the Red Sea into two halves, and the Israelites begin making their way across. Moses is at the front and he yells back, don't eat the shellfish, I'll explain later. 
and the Egyptian armies keep chasing them in until finally the very last Israelite makes it safely to the shore of the edge of the shore. And at that point, the waters crash in and they destroy the Egyptian army, but they preserve every last Israelite. Now those are the glory days. I mean, those are the kinds of days in life and in ministry that you never forget. But what we discover in Exodus chapter 16 is that it wasn't too long until the people began grumbling, not just in their hearts, but in their bellies. They started asking God, what have you done? Have you brought us out here to die? We missed the food that was back in Egypt. And God, in his love, doesn't answer in anger. He answers with outrageous generosity. He provides meat for the Israelites to eat, quail for their bellies. He also provides this heavenly-like substance by the name of manna, this sweet coriander-like powder that they gathered that came together and that they were to eat. And in Exodus chapter 16, some of the directions regarding that manna get really specific because what Moses instructs the Israelites is that they are to get up each day before the sun rises overhead, and they're to go out and they're to gather this manna and they're to bring it back to their tents. But on the sixth day, they're to go out and they're actually to gather two portions of manna, because on the seventh day, they're to rest, which is intriguing because this is Exodus chapter 16, and it's not until Exodus 20 that Moses goes up Mount Sinai to get the Ten Commandments, one of which is, you should honor the Sabbath. And so God is not just going with his people and his provision, he's actually going before them. But the directions regarding the manna start to get really specific in Exodus 16, 16, when it says, this is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it every man as much as he should eat. You shall take an omer apiece according to the number of persons each of you has in his tent. And the sons of Israel did so, and some gathered much and some little. Okay, er, put on the brakes for a second. Because in a modern translation, basically what's being said here in the text is that among the Israelites, there were some total overachievers and there were some complete slackers. In other words, there were Israelites who would get up first thing in the morning, they would go far and wide, they would gather as much manna as they possibly could and they'd come back to their tent. And then there were the Israelites who would simply press snooze over and over again until the sun was just almost overhead. And then they'd step outside their tent, they'd scoop up a little manna, they'd say, oy vey, that's enough, and then they'd come back in. But when we keep reading the passage, it says in verse 18, when they measured it with an omer, he who had gathered much had no excess, and he who had gathered little had no lack. Every man gathered as much as he should eat. And I believe this is one of those places in the scripture where we're reminded that the fruit of our labors, it, it, it's not because of anything that we've done. It is the gift of an outrageously generous God. Ultimately, it is God who gives us the creativity to come up with business plans. It is God who signs our paychecks. It is God who provides for us and our families. It is God who one day will help our children pay back their student loan debt. Amen? But when you keep reading the passage, it continues. And Moses said to them, let no man leave any of it, the manna, until morning. 
But they did not listen to Moses, and some left part of it until morning, and it bred worms and became foul, and Moses was angry with them. You see, at their heart, at their core, the Israelites didn't believe in God's provision. They thought that if they stored it up, then they'd have enough rather than trusting in an outrageously generous God. Well, I used to read the story as if it was some Old Testament passage. You know, one of those things that happened thousands of years ago, but, but that wouldn't happen today. Except a number of years ago, I was living in Steamboat Springs, and it was the middle of winter. And I remember one day a friend came over to go out, and we were going to go spend the afternoon snowshoeing. And when she arrived at my house, she said, Margaret, it feels like the temperature has dropped. Could I borrow a sweater? I said, no problem. Went to my closet, grabbed the first sweater I saw, handed it to her. We went out snowshoeing in the forest. It was glorious, glorious day. We come back to my house, and she sits there, and she's taking off the sweater. And she looks at me, and she goes, Margaret, here's your sweater back. And she hands it to me. And as she is handing it to me, I am sensing one of those sacred echoes, those moments when God is speaking, and he says, give it to her. And I am thinking, this is now my favorite sweater. I love this sweater. I have never loved this sweater as much as I do right now. And the moment passes. A few days later, another friend comes over, and we're going to go out skiing and snowboarding for the day. And she shows up and she says, Margaret, oh my goodness, I realized that I left my gloves at home. Could I borrow one? And I was like, no problem. And thinking that I had learned my lesson from a few days before, I did not loan her my old icky gloves. I loaned her my brand new pair from REI, like the kind that are made in that magical material. They're good in all temperatures. You can take them to the moon. And so we go out and we spend the day skiing and snowboarding, have a great day. We come back and we're dropping off all the equipment. She takes off the gloves and she hands them to me. And I sense that sacred echo a second time give them to her. And I'm like, but God, these are the amazing gloves from REI. Have you heard about the fabric that they're made out of? Like they have all these, these are really, as if God needed to know about the gloves. And so the moment passes and a few more days go by and another friend comes over. We're spending the afternoon just on the couch talking, we're hanging out, we're drinking lattes. And I remember we had this gourmet box of chocolate treats. And we're sitting there and we spent a ton of time together, ate way too many. And eventually she's about to leave that afternoon. And as she's heading out, I'm starting to clean up everything. And I'm about to close the lid on the box of chocolates when I sense God speak a third time. And he says, give them to her. I looked inside of that box and there were like three or four chocolates left and it, it looked like somebody had like stuck their finger in the middle of one to figure out what was in the middle. And I just looked at it and I said, God, you ask us to give our very best and, and this is leftovers. And the moment passed. About a 24 hour period of time went by and I decided that, you know what, I, I'm thirsty. And so I went and I grabbed my favorite sweater from the closet and I put it on. And I remember I went to the refrigerator and I opened the door and I reached in and I grabbed a drink and I opened it and when I sipped, it spilled and it had that kind of dye that no amount of stain remover will take out. And then I went to go and spend the afternoon outside and I went to go grab my favorite gloves from REI and one of them was gone. 
to this day, I, I don't know where it went. And eventually I got hungry and I opened that box of chocolate treats, fully expecting just a delicacy awaiting. And instead I saw mold inside. And when I saw the mold, it was like the Holy Spirit connected the dots in my life. And he said, Margaret, I have been calling you to give in the most simple ways, and yet you have been holding back. And I realized, God, I am no different than the Israelites. Father, change me, change my heart. Help me to be outrageously generous like you are. And what I've been discovering in my own life is that that is a prayer that God is faithful to answer. And that when we give, when we embark on the adventure of giving, when we give freely, we become just a little bit more free ourselves. That when we give, we become just a little bit more attached to that world and a little bit less attached to this one. We can all say with our mouths what we believe about God, but what we truly believe will manifest itself in our actions. It all goes back to that passage in 2 Corinthians 9-7, where it says, if you back up to verse 6, Now this I say, he who sows sparingly shall also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully shall also reap bountifully. Let each one do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. That word in the Greek for cheerful is actually the word hilario. It's the word that we get the word hilarious from. And do we have any fans of The Office in here? A few? Yeah. If you've ever watched The Office, then you know that Dwight Schrute is funny. And when you see or encounter something that's funny, you laugh. But we also know that Michael Scott it's his last season. We'll miss him greatly. But when you see Michael Scott on The Office, you know that he is hilarious. And when you and I encounter something as hilari that's hilarious, we laugh hard. It encompasses the fullness of our whole bodies as we laugh in response. And God is inviting us to be hilarious givers with him. To not just give out of our checkbook and out of our day plan or out of our money and out of our time, but out of the fullness of who we are, who God has called and created us to be. Our outrageously generous God invites us to embark on the adventure of a lifetime, reflecting his generosity to as many people as possible. So if you find yourself lying in bed at night and wondering, is this all there is? Know that there is so much more of God to uncover and discover, that God longs for you to know him natural, pure, and essential, organically, and in the process to encounter his generosity and extend it in powerful ways to our world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you that you are a God who never stops revealing yourself to us, that you are a God who is active, who is imminent, who speaks, who leads, who guides, who stirs the heart, who calls us to express and reflect your generosity to the world around us. Heavenly Father, I ask that you would move in hearts here, that you would speak loud and clear, 
that you would reveal your sacred echo to what you are calling the men and women here to do. Father, give us the courage to respond in obedience and let nothing rot in our midst. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.